Amen. Well, you may be seated. Can you guys give Brian a hand first real quick just for leading us in worship? Thanks, Brian. That was a, a joy. Uh, well, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And, and that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And part of how we do that is, is as we gather together on a Sunday morning, right, we sing songs to Jesus as our Savior and King. We give tithes and offerings, recognizing that everything that we have comes from Him. We take communion, remembering His work on the cross for us to save us from, from certain death and destruction into eternal life, eternal life. And we, we regularly preach through books of the Bible. We want to hear God's word. We want to have, be able to sing, this is my story. We want to know the story. And we want to know why we're singing to our Savior and to our King. And, and, and I want to be reminded that Jesus Christ is our King. And, and if he's a King, then, then that means that he is in authority over us. It means that we are people who need to be led. And it means that, that the world and, and all of creation is arranged in such a way the biblical and godly leadership leads to flourishing of individuals, of families, of churches, and of our society. And I think if we consider maybe even just the last three or four years of, of our culture here in the West, I don't think we would say, man, there's been a lot of really great, bold leadership leading us through difficult circumstances into better or greener pastures. But instead, we've seen a failure of leadership we, we've seen not thriving leaders, but fearful leaders. And with that then leads to, to collective malaise and, and frustration and, and difficulty. And, and I mean, we've seen for generations now, what does it look like in communities when there's fatherlessness? What do communities look like when there's not great leadership at the, when it comes to like public safety and things like that? We, we, we see what happens in, in business or sports or culture when there's not great thriving leadership. And certainly we can see it in the life of the church as well. Like the church has not been immune to, to poor and difficult leadership. And so if we as individuals are gonna thrive, if our church is going to thrive, if we're going to help our community uh, and, and our culture and beyond thrive, then in part there has to be thriving and faithful leadership, particularly in the life of the church. And so last week as we kind of began walking through 1 Thessalonians, we're now a couple weeks in, um, on your way in hopefully you got one of our scripture journals. We're in 1 Thessalonians um, today and for the next several weeks going in towards Advent. Um, also we have our discipleship guide that lets you know kind of where we're at in this series. We're in week three where we're looking at faithful leadership, at thriving leadership. Last week we said, hey, what does it look like to be a faithful follower and all that? And so I know that, that as the guy that's standing up, as the guy whose you know, role is lead pastor, as the guy who's been on full-time staff, for me to stand up and talk about leadership and all the, how leaders need to behave, you're probably like, cool, thanks. Is this just like a job interview or like a job description? Like, well, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's part of that for sure. But I want you, whether you came in as part of our church or part of any church or the church or not a Christian, I want you to understand, all of us are led. All of us are led by something or someone. 
And all of us are leaders of others. And it may, you, you have a sphere of influence that you are involved in leading. And so maybe that's within your family. Maybe that's within a business or, or school. Or maybe it's simply like, hey, you're a leader of self. You know, you're responsible for you. You know, and certainly if you're raising kids, you're like, hey, if you could be responsible, like, like a great thing happens when all of your kids can wipe their own butts. It's, just a, it's an awesome transition. You're like, that's leadership development, right? You know, all right, now you are now a self-manager. Congratulations. So all of us are leaders. And Paul's writing this letter to this church that he loves, that he helped plant, that he was involved in leading, and yet he had to go. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, things got real hot, real heavy. The church was actually changing the culture around it so much that the world was pushing back against it, and there was great hostility. And so it was in the best interest of the church and of Paul and the leaders to, to go and transition to another ministry. And so but the church didn't stop. The mission didn't stop. In fact, the church continued to thrive in that hostility. And so Paul sends Timothy back to help lead for a while, and then he gets a report back from Timothy, one of his leaders that he's been training up and working with for years, and, and he gets this report on how great and thriving the church is, even in the midst of hostility. But they're, they're, they're starting to kind of rewrite the history of the church a little bit, and people are coming into the church and starting to say, oh, that Paul guy, you got planted by Paul? Oh, I got stories about Paul. Let me tell you, Paul's not that great a guy. Paul, Paul oh man, yeah, he, he just travels around. This is kind of his shtick, you know, and, and so um, Paul is now having to answer kind of some, some questions that the church is having specifically about his leadership. So the, the verses we're gonna look at today towards the beginning, it's gonna seem like Paul's being a bit defensive, and it's because he is. He wants to defend his ministry, and we'll, we'll explain that in a moment. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, you can grab your scripture journal. You can get an app. You can do whatever you want. It'll be up on the screen as well. Um, we're going to go through chapter, uh, through verse 10 today, um, and I've broken it up into a few sections, starting with verses 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to the church. And he says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain or empty. But though we'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So I'm gonna talk about these verses and the verses to come and, and kind of in the framework of what does it look like to have faithful leadership or thriving leadership. And so first off, faithful leaders are those called by God with purpose to go on mission. And, and, and that's fine. You can be called to go on mission. You can say, hey, I want to start this new endeavor. I want to plant a church. I want to start a ministry. I want to start a business. I want to start a family, wh whatever it is. And you can feel called to do that, but they are also willing to continue the mission boldly, even in the face of overwhelming circumstances. See, Paul, this wasn't his first rodeo planning in Thessalonica. He'd actually gone from town to town to town, and part of why he went from town to town is he faced great hostility in town to town to town. So he, he's not like, um, you know, like a traveling snake oil salesman. Do people sell snake oils? No, they sell essential oils now. Is that what it is different now? Sorry, am I, did I just hit somebody personally? Okay, it's fine. If you like the little, you know, vials, that's okay. Um, right, but they're not just traveling around, you, you know, hey, going from place to place. Um, but, but Philippi was used to that. Excuse me, Thessalonica was used to that. 
We talked a couple weeks ago about the history and the geography. There was this great road that came through town, and so people were always traveling through Thessalonica, and that included people who were trying to build their own influence, who were, were traveling speakers, um, they, they, were, they were maybe cult leaders, they were, they were wannabe influencers, and they would come in through the town, and they'd kind of whip everybody into a frenzy. People would get excited about them for a while, and, and then they would move on. And, and what, what had happened after Paul left Thessalonica was people that had come in within the church and out of the church and say, Paul's just one of those guys. Paul's just one of those charlatans who came in. And so Paul says, you know, hey, you yourselves, you know us, brothers and sisters. You know who we are. You know that we came to you. We came to plant a church here. And, and what, what he gets to say is despite all of the hostility, besides Paul and the leadership team going and new leaders raising up, the church is thriving. He said it wasn't in vain that we did this. It wasn't, the word means empty or purposelessness. He said it wasn't for no reason that we planted this church. It wasn't for no reason that you heard the gospel. It wasn't for no reason that your life was transformed, that your trajectory of eternity was changed, but the, the way and the manner you walk your life out has also changed. It wasn't in vain. What an awesome report to get to hear. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a business owner, if you're a leader, if you're a school teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're a pastor, the last thing you want to hear is that all of your efforts were in vain. The team didn't win, the business shut down, your kids spun out. Like what? These things all happen and that doesn't define your success. We're not defined by our successes and failures, we're defined by Jesus Christ taking our failure on the cross, giving us his righteousness so that we can have glory with God forever. But Paul's here and he's again a little defensive of his ministry. And so he's saying, hey, worldly success is not guaranteed. God doesn't send his messengers out though on fool's errands. The Bible is clear that the word of God does not return void. Jesus is clear that he has made us as disciples to be faithful, yes, but to actually produce fruit. To produce fruit in our own lives, to, to be part of a fruitful gospel communities. And so flourishing leaders are not aimless and they're also not fruitless. Faithful leaders have a willingness to suffer and remain bold. Um, Paul talks about it here. We, we, we've already kind of heard about how things went in Thessalonica, that it was, it was rough. But, I mean, Paul's stop before that was in Philippi. And you can read, you know, about how that church was doing in the book of Philippians. Uh, again, a thriving church. A lot of great things happened there. But, but Paul goes into Philippi, and he starts planting a church there. And he's out in the town square. And he starts getting hounded by this, this young gal who was being human trafficked. And, and she was used as a slave by these slave owners because they believed that she was kind of like an oracle to the spirits. And so she's walking behind Paul and she just keeps saying like, this man's like one of the disciples of Jesus. This man's a follower of God. Like, like, and at a certain point, you're like, hey, thanks, that's great. And then at a certain point, you're like, okay, cool. Like, they've heard it. Like, it literally says Paul got annoyed because she's just hounding him. And so eventually he just says, okay, you know, who, who are you? He prays for her. The, the unclean spirits, the demonic spiritual oppression she's been dealing with is gone. She is now set free. And everybody's excited about it. Except for her pimps. See, they don't like it because they were using her to get money from other people because of the gifts that she had spiritually. Spiritually 
And so they get angry at Paul. And they, they rile up people against Paul and they, they beat Paul to a pulp and they put him in prison. And what does Paul do? He's like, well, I guess I can like share the gospel with the jailer. And like the, the jailer becomes a Christian and the jailer's like, like spouse gets saved and his kids get saved and they all get baptized. And it's this amazing thing. And part of how the church in Philippi was planted was because Paul got put in prison. The Philippian jailer becomes a Christian and then that church is planted. But let's not pretend it was easy. So for Paul, he's saying, hey, my stop before you guys was beat up and put in prison. That's a faithful leader. Faithful leadership gets punched in the mouth and keeps going because they understand that the mission of the gospel supersedes their own personal comfort. See, um, I think a lot of us have a low threshold for pain. I, I, I know I do. I mean, is that, like, I, as a pastor, you can read about Paul and you're like, yeah, I'm a pastor like Paul. And then you're like, well, actually not, I'm not that great. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm tapping out way before I get in jail. Like that first punch from, from, from the guys who are human trafficking. In fact, I see the human trafficking guys and I'm just like, I'm out. But all of us have a higher pain threshold when we believe and know that our suffering or self-denial or sacrifices are for a purpose and are not purposeless. See, Paul knew that the mission of the gospel was important. Paul knew that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knew that to be absent from his body is to be present with the Father, so he didn't, he didn't count the, the present sufferings that he was dealing with as anything because he was looking to an eternal perspective. So faithful leaders don't just think about today. They are encouraged by the eternity that is to come. And, like we said, he said, this wasn't in vain. And, can I just say, we want to see fruit in our present day. Like as a church, we should be people who want to pray to see revival. You have people you know that don't know Jesus. You should be praying for them to know Jesus, not just so their eternity is secure, it will be, but so they can be free of the bondage of sin today, so they can thrive in ways in their life today that they couldn't if they were trying to do it on their own. They could actually walk out the new life that Jesus Christ has for them. So faithful leaders are willing to suffer and remain bold. I mean, uh, I mean, Paul gets out of jail and like he didn't get a sabbatical after that. It's like, well, on to Thessalonica and starts playing. It just keeps going. And it's amazing. I mean, again, pastors use Paul all the time as an example and that's great, but like this is, like he is an example. In fact, he's a pretty phenomenal example. But I think for us as leaders, we need to come back to the, the core principles that like it is okay to endure a certain amount of suffering, self-sacrifice, self-denial if you understand the mission and the purpose matters. Paul was laser focused on the mission. And the reason he was able to be laser focused on the mission is because he was a steward of the gospel. And that leads us to our next verses. Verses three through six say this. For our appeal does not spring from error, or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with pretext for greed. God's our witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And so let's just stop here. Faithful leaders are stewards of the gospel. What was empowering and encouraging Paul to go forward on this mission was his understanding of the gospel truth. That God created a world and he created it good. That sin has entered the world through our rejection and rebellion of God. And since that time, aspects of the world have, can we just say, not been good. But God loves us. And God does not leave us alone in our sin, but in fact pursues us over and over and over. Despite your faithlessness, despite my faithlessness, God himself proves faithful. And the way he proves himself faithful most and best is in arriving as the person and work of Jesus Christ. He shows up on the scene. And he lives an obscure life. He lives an obedient life. He lives a faithful life. Yes, he lives a fruitful life. Even of public ministry. I mean, Jesus at a certain point had a mega church going. I mean, 5,000 men, because they didn't count the ladies and the kids back then. We count ladies and kids. In part because Jesus does. Just saying, okay. Like he had like thousands and thousands of people showing up. And they didn't even have a microphone or mini muffins. They just showed up. In fact, they had like so little food that, that Jesus miraculously starts feeding these people. And it's growing and it's going. But guess what? Jesus, even in his public ministry, by the time he goes to the cross, no one on his leadership team's even with him. He suffered. He suffered because he saw a purpose. He suffered on the cross, not just as an example of suffering, but he suffered as your substitute for your sin. He endured that suffering because he says in Hebrews, the joy that was set before him was greater than the suffering he would endure. And that joy was your salvation, your freedom, and your new life. He did that for you. And then to prove that he has the power to save, he resurrected so that you can say, oh, he's the one in charge of, of death. He overcomes death. And so if we're going to have life now, if we're going to have life forever, it's going to be in and with Jesus. And then he, he commissions his disciples to go and spread this gospel around. And, and Paul himself was a guy who was so opposed to that gospel because it meant Jesus was the authority. Jesus was the king. It meant he wasn't. His religious system didn't work. And then Jesus meets Paul on the, the way to Damascus and he gives him a new identity and a new purpose. And because Paul saw Jesus face to face, because Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting my church? And, and Paul's like, oh, I guess you're the real deal. He goes from opponent of the church to church planter and one who starts writing New Testament books that we're still reading today a couple thousand years later. And Jesus ascended into heaven and Jesus is ruling and reigning and we have the promise in the scripture that Jesus will return and that at that return, no more sin, suffering, and tears. All things made new. No more suffering. Perfect refinement. New life. Now in eternity. New heavens. New earth. God with his people. His people united together. From every tribe, tongue, and nation. All in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that Paul preached. 
That's the gospel that Paul believed. That's the gospel that empowered Paul to continue on. And so as he's saying here, you guys are saying that I did this from error, that I did this from greed, that I did this from deceit. The word impurity is the same word for sexual immorality. See what was happening, like I said, guys are rolling into town down that highway into Thessalonica and some of them were just legit cult leaders. And I don't know how much you like to study cults. I do, not for like leadership development like, like deals, but just like I find them interesting. And like step one's always like, hey, y'all, the world's gonna end. And you're like, oh, it is? Yep, but I got, I got a way out. And it's usually like, let's all go move somewhere, sell your stuff, we'll all move in together. Cool, now we're all moving in together? Like, are we gonna get to go somewhere? Oh, I just got a new revelation. All of your wives aren't your wives anymore, they're now mine. Like those are the three steps. World ending, move somewhere else, take all the wives. That's it. And that's like happening in Thessalonica, likely. And so they're accusing Paul of the same thing. They're saying, hold up. I preached a pure gospel with pure motives. I didn't preach and speak out of error. What else did he say? I've been entrusted with the gospel. And he's like, hey, y'all can test me, but at the end of the day, God's the one who tests my heart. He goes, God knows my heart. God knows why I did this. I mean, what a bold statement he's able to say. To say, hey, God's, God's gonna be my judge, not, not you guys. He's like, I'm not here to seek glory from people. I'm here to be obedient to God. See, faithful leaders, they understand and recognize the damaging impact that foolish leaders have on the flock. He knows that teachers are gonna keep coming in through he knows that new leaders are gonna come through. He knows that, that maybe there was people that were excited about what Paul had to say because it felt new and fresh and it, and it worked for them for a while. But he knows that, that maybe later on they, they're gonna start lending their influence to others. And so Paul's saying, no, I came with pure motives. I've been entrusted with this gospel. The reason I speak, he's like, it's not even to, to please you. He's like, I'm here because God told me to do this. And so while Paul preaches, and we should preach to a diverse audience, socioeconomically, racially, all those things, like, like, like preach to a diverse audience. Faithful leaders should preach to a diverse audience. Preaching to a broad, diverse audience, but preaching for an audience of one. At the end of the day, at the end of my ministry, at the end of any pastor's ministry. We're going to be held accountable for what we preached and taught and lived and did by God. And so like woe to us if we don't give good news. If we don't keep pointing people back to the hero of the story, not us as leaders in any way, shape, or form, not the hero, but regularly pointing people back to the hero that is Jesus. See, faithful leaders preach a message that is true from motives that are pure. He's been approved by God, not based on his merit, but based on the gospel itself. I mean, you would not choose Paul to be a church planter. Like, that guy hates us. And yet, God in his grace and mercy chose Paul to, to preach, to teach. Like, like, the only people that God has to be leaders and preachers and teachers are imperfect people. And before you think, man, Paul's pretty prideful though. He's like, God will test me. 
Like Paul's also the guy that says, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. He has what I hope most leaders have and, and, and I pray that I have at moments, a humble gospel confidence that isn't based on his gifting or the size of his church or the fruitfulness of his ministry, but it's based on the work of God in his life, the clarity of the message of the gospel, the purpose he's been given and the people he's been called to reach and preach to. And so this audience that he's preaching to, he says, hey, I'm not there to please you guys. I mean, to be clear, he's for them, he loves them, he cares for this church, he's writing to this church, he helped plant this church. But ultimately, though, he says, hey, verse six, I didn't seek glory from people. Right now, we all lend our influence to someone in some way, shape, or form. And we do so sometimes to people that don't care about us at all but only care about themselves. Your favorite podcaster does not love you. Your favorite social media influencer, oh, you might think you have a rapport with them because you watch their stories and they talk in, to the screen and you look at the screen. Maybe you hearted the story. Maybe you, maybe you clapped. I like to clap. That's my, when I do that. But they don't know you or love you or care about you. They are people who are building literally a platform for themselves. How many subscribers? How many followers? How many likes? And Paul's saying, hey, I'm not here for that. I mean, to be clear, all those podcasters, all those influencers, like, I mean, a year from now, two, five, 10, 15, you might have forgotten all of them. Uh, I'll say, Paul, without trying to build a platform, we're still reading this stuff a couple thousand years later by the grace of God, because he's writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Paul's saying, hey, I'm not here to build a big platform. I'm here to talk to you about a big God who wants to make big changes in your life through, through Jesus. And so he's saying, hey, you can, you can test our hearts that they need to constantly be audited and that we're following who God is. Flourishing leaders are those who understand and embrace the privilege and responsibility of stewarding the gospel. Paul loves this message and he loves these people and he knows, he knows that the best thing that he can do as a leader is keep telling people the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. To keep preaching and teaching God's word. To, like, like we wanna see renewal in the city. Like yeah, okay, you know, like, like do something to reform the school district here in Marysville. Right, vote for politicians that care about public safety, like vote for good economic policies. But you wanna see actual renewal in the city? Then you pray for revival, that the Holy Spirit would move people from spiritual death to spiritual life, that there'd be people whose authority is not themselves, but is the God who made them, and are humble, confident followers of Jesus Christ. That that is how you transform a society. That ultimately that is where Renewal will come from. And so, flourishing leaders are not greedy, they're givers. Paul's taken steps of self-denial here. He said, hey, in verse four, I didn't, or verse five, I didn't come for a pretext in greed. We didn't come to seek glory from you or from others. And, and then really at the end of, of verse six, what he's saying is, he's saying, hey, um, you know, as, a, as an apostle, as a preacher, teacher of the gospel, like, like uh, there was often times where Paul and others were funded full time to be preachers and pastors. I'll just tell you, like, 
For, for 10 years, I, I've had the honor to get to be a full-time lead pastor at the church here. That's been a blessing. And oh yeah, there's been trials and difficulties and all sorts of things. Not in prison yet. You know, that hasn't happened. Nobody's, nobody's landed a punch in me yet, so that's good. Um, excited about that. I don't know if I can punch back. I'm really sure that ends my job at that point, actually. So, um, but like, it's a blessing. And Paul's saying, hey, you know, actually, guys, when I was with you guys, I, I, I could have been full-time. I could have been stipend. I could have been on staff. And he's saying, I, and, I, and I didn't. So, like, why are y'all saying I'm greedy? Because Paul's like, you know, I was doing pretty good, like, as a Pharisee. Those guys do real, real well. Everybody ties if you're in a church with Pharisees. And he's like, and by the way, I'm also a really good tent maker. Like, really good. Like, not the tents, like, out in Seattle. Like, good tents that you, like, want to have. He's like, I got skills in the marketplace. I could have done pretty well. So if I want to be greedy, he's like, church planting is not the road I would have gone, is what Paul's saying. And so flourishing leaders preach a message that is true, a message that is powerful. They do it with motives that are pure, and they also do it with methods that we'll see in these next two sections as we move to closes here in a little bit. Uh, I'm not closing in 10 minutes, never mind. We're going to see that he has parental methods in how he leads the church. Next verses, keep going. Seven and eight say this. So after making a defense of what he hasn't been, he says this. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you, you've become very dear to us. So flourishing and faithful and thriving leaders, they, they, they actually are faithful in, for lack of a better term, mothering. Which sounds a bit counterintuitive. Flourishing leaders, they have an inseparable commitment to God's word and a commitment to God's people. So Paul's kind of said, hey, you know, my character, like, He's like, I'm a guy of integrity. I'm here because I love the gospel. I'm here because I love the church. I'm here because the Lord uh, has told me to do this. And then now he's talked about the truth of the message he's proclaimed. And now he's starting to say, hey, and by the way, here's how I think about you guys. He didn't say, hey, I came to you Thessalonians like a general ready to rage revolution. Let's go. He didn't say, hey, I came to you, Thessalonians, like, like a great business leader where our product is gonna change the world and make it a better place. He didn't say, I came to you like a politician who's gonna make a whole bunch of promises and then after. No, he says, I came to you at, at, like, a, like a mom, like a nursing mother I mean, again, I'll just say probably not like the analogy I'm going to lead with if I'm talking about leadership. Like certainly if you're starting a, a leadership conference or, or, or leadership book or leadership podcast, you know, like, well, you know, the nursing mother leadership podcast. No, but, but instead, what he's saying here, like this isn't effeminate leadership. This isn't leadership like he's not turning in his, his man card. You know, I mean, it's, just, it's a weird thing for Paul to say for sure. So it's not a feminine leadership, which is prevalent because Paul, in a few verses later, he's gonna compare himself to a father. But he's talking about like, like the parental love that parents, plural, m mothers and fathers, distinctly, uniquely made, have 
on their children or on their families. And so he's saying the thing I needed to lead with for faithful leadership is being gentle and sacrificial. I mean, I can think of things like few things more sacrificial than what women go through in birthing and nursing children. Giving of their very selves. Like, I mean, several times when Tara was pregnant, like it took me several pregnancies to get that concept. I was not good as a rookie dad um, when she was first pregnant. I was like, just, what, what are you complaining about? Like, we made it. <laughs> but later on, you know, it's it like, hey, you know, I had a busy day at work. It, it seems like you're pretty wiped out. What'd you do? She's like, well, I made a lung today. I'm like, oh yeah, that's way more better than, than whatever I did. Actually giving of your body, your life force, nursing mothers, providing life for another. In this case, he's being, saying being gentle and sacrificial. So you don't often think of gentle and leadership hand in hand. But here he's saying that's an essential component, that there better be some gentleness that there should be some, like, we know each other a bit as the church. Paul is able to say five different times in this section of Scripture that, like, that, uh, you know us as you know, as you remember. He's saying, hey, as a leader, you, you know me. I know you. We know one another. We've been rolling together for a while, he's saying. He knows his people, and he's known by his people. And he says, I feel so responsible for you. It's like I'm taking care of children. And I don't hear that wrongly, like parent, child. But he's just saying, gentle and sacrificial as a leader. The flourishing leaders are in gospel community, not just aloof from it or above it. That's what I'm saying. Your social media influencer cannot love you like a parent or engage with you like a parent. Leaders have to be part of the community they're leading. Otherwise, they're just a voice. They're just a face. They're not truly leading. They need to be present and accessible. Known as leaders, recognized that their ministry is both public and it's personal. And so here he's saying that, hey, the leader's attitude, you, you know, it, there is some mutuality. Like, hey, I'm for you. You know me. Like, we can grow and thrive together because there is some relationship. And that ends up leading to some pretty awesome fruit. And so he's celebrating that they've heard the gospel. And that, that he's also saying, and I've shared my life with you. There's a relational connection between leaders and their congregations. And that, I mean, that just goes in, like, as a parent, there better be some relationship with your kids. Um, like, I, I've screwed up a ton of times as a parent. And, and yet, I, I was just blessed this last week. One of our kids, while literally everybody was fighting uh, while, while uh, doing the dishes after dinner, one of our kids just goes, you guys, we should be so grateful because like, I know so many kids who's like, don't have dinner with their family and don't have a relationship with our parents like we do. And I was like, and I was like, oh, she's, she's probably talking about Tara. <laughs> like, I was just like, I'm sure it was Tara that she was talking about. And, and like, that's, I just want to be clear, that's by the grace of God. I've made a ton of mistakes as a father. A ton of mistakes as a father, but there has to be some aspect of relationship, gentleness, sacrifice. He says, I'm desirously affectionate of you. He cares about this church. 
And so flourishing and faithful leaders, they're gentle like mom, but they're firm like dad. Last verses as we close. 9 through 12 says this. For you remember, brothers, sisters, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, in this giving of their lives, flourishing leaders, uh, they, they, they aren't just affectionate um, like, like motherly affection. They also do fatherly sacrifice as well. There's this tension of being gentle but not soft, like, like firm but not harsh. And so they're encouraging the, 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 the church to actually grow. So like the nursing mothers, right? That's sustenance. That's life. That's just like, hey, you are alive because of the moms. And we know that, right? Like, like we know that. Like if the moms were gone, the kids wouldn't make it. But at certain points, he's saying it's the dad's job to stir you up to good works, to lay out purpose for you, to lay out vision for you, to walk in a manner worthy of the God who's called you. He's saying my job was to love you, care for you, feed you, be affectionate of you, and to encourage and exhort you. These are people who a few verses ago, he said, you've turned from idols. You've turned from following that which is false. You are now following Jesus Christ who is alive. You are walking away from sin. You're now walking towards righteousness. Let me, as a good dad, cheer you on to good works. That's what he's saying faithful leaders do. Yes, they're qualified. I mean, he, he talks about these qualifications real quick in verse 10. He says, they are holy, that is in their devotion to God. They are righteous in how they engage others. And they are blameless uh, to the outside world. To be clear, those aren't, that's not perfect leaders. Like, there has to be grace and mercy for, for followers and for leaders, yes. I mean, nearly every leader that I have, like, received something good from and good teaching or good mentorship or has failed in some massive way. And if you and I tie our faith to the faithfulness of our leaders and not the faithfulness of the leader, Jesus Christ, then you are one pastor's failure away from faithlessness. And sadly, I've seen that play out. I mean, we're here in the Northwest. We had a big, big, big church blow up like five, six, seven, eight years ago now. And there are people that are still not in church because of it. So if your relationship is, I love that pastor, or I love that teacher or preacher, or I love that author, no, it better be that they stir up to you that relationship that you have with Jesus, that your life is loved and led by Jesus, and that at best, at best, faithful leaders can mirror that in some way for a time or season. So let me encourage you, let me exhort you to own your own faith, to be a person who takes your discipleship seriously, to before you think about leading in your family or church, that you do take some, some self-ownership not so that God will love you. 
It doesn't say, hey, walk in a manner worthy and God will save you. No, he's talking to people who've already received mercy and grace from God. In a moment here, we will take communion and we will be reminded that our God sacrificed himself for us. That we receive mercy and grace. We don't earn it. But Paul can still say, now go walk and live out that new life that has been granted to you, gifted to you. Like take ownership over your own faith. You want to thrive? You should want to thrive? Then it's walking in that humble gospel confidence. It's being refreshed and renewed by God's word. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Walking out times of prayer and, and solitude and, and engaging, like, like, like walking out holy before God, righteous in your relationship with others, blameless to outsiders. Knowing like you and I, like we're not gonna be perfect. But we do get to walk out a new life worthy of the God who saved us. And he says he's calling you to kingdom and to glory. That the outcome of this new life, this race we get to run, we're guaranteed victory. We're guaranteed entrance into the kingdom. We're guaranteed glory. And so faithful leaders, and all, even as we're fatherly, we're just cheering one another on to keep running that race that God set before us. Knowing it's the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the perseverance that God has sealed us as his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. And we just keep exhorting and encouraging people to turn from idols, to follow Jesus. Yeah, to have a loving and caring relationship with leaders and pastors and whatever else, but to, but to be shepherded and loved and led by the Lord first and foremost. Faithful leaders, encourage and exhort one another to walk out our new identity as sons and citizens and daughters, knowing that our destiny is kingdom and glory when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.